0: There's so many possibilities, I suppose.
1: Well, hey everybody, we haven't decided how we're going to do the intro, so we're just gonna we're gonna do it live. First Send thing it. I have to, yeah, first thing I have to talk about is uh, is why is it always navy pilots that see UAPs or uh, or unidentified flying or airborne phenomena? Uh, and air force guys seem to be not as worried about that, but maybe that's just me. What do you, what do you think rain?
0: That's a great point. You know, cause I've never heard anyone who's like, dude, I got to tell you about this. I was out in the airspace or I was over Iraq and you know, this UAP as they now call it popped up and was flying around. I have no idea what it was. My theory is that after nine months on a boat with 5,000 dudes, you just start to see <laughs> things. That's what I think yeah. it is. Although I, I will that, say that thing uh, was it like Joe Rogan? I think Commander Farver yeah. is that. Seeing the targeting pod footage of that tic tac moving around—if that's a real thing—is pretty pretty wild. Yeah,
1: I have uh, I have my theories. I have a lot of theories about it. I don't know how many I can talk to, uh, but I let's we'll go this way. Do you, because, uh, so they had that commander Fravor guy on Joe Rogan, which again, why is it always Navy guys that go on a show with like 11 million people to hear them talk about their UFO, uh, (laughs) conspiracies, but either way, (laughs) the, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what everybody thinks. So from some military branch or other than human made, what do you guys think?
0: I give it to Bender. I mean, you know, I, again, I'm not, like, super well-versed with this stuff. Not that anyone is. Yeah. <laughs> but i also kind of cynical. I'm like, again, you know, it is only the Navy guys that pop up and, and do this stuff. I, I'm i going to go it's military. For the sheer fact that, like,
1: I I just imagine they're not telling people the whole truth. You know, I just – that is my expectation.
0: Yeah, I hope that, you know, you see – We didn't know about the B2. We didn't know about the F117. That stuff was essentially designed late 70s, early 80s technology, and it's pretty impressive, in my humble opinion. And now, I mean, if you just look at from what we operated, we were in high school, we had a Nokia phone, and then, you know, 2007 pops up, iPhone, it's completely changed the world. I'm thinking that there's smart people buried underground somewhere that fly (laughs) off, you know, every week, and they're just doing all this work. And I'll jump to jump because you guys... I think we mentioned last time, Rush Fulkerson. You know, he was a fate with us. He was in the 41st Viper dude test pilot. And I know he was going to get out of the air force as a test pilot and a job popped up somewhere in the world. And the guy who's like, who's doing it. He's like, dude, I can't tell you anything about it other than it's the best job you'll ever have in your entire life. And then Rush went off and disappeared. And then he would respond to text messages like three days late or two weeks late. Or his wife was like, Hey, He's gone right now. I imagine he was flying some really cool stuff or doing things, so. I would hope so. I don't know. Technology, yeah. There's got to be some really cool toys that are just hidden there we don't know about. Yeah. Well, everybody, because I
1: uh, did a terrible intro, because we're just kind of getting into it. Obviously, it's uh, Rain Waters from the Afterburn podcast. We've got uh, Vader here from the Kodiak Shack podcast. And Bender as a uh, regular staple in these uh, bro chats. This is volume three, if you are unaware. Uh, we've got Bender, who's being uh, oddly silent here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I, <laughs> but the, I, oh, I can't
2: talk about that kind of stuff. I've seen the UFOs. There we maybe go. have Look spent some time with them. I'm just
1: kidding. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> well, I think, you know, maybe maybe uh, Bender joined the Navy. That's what we're experiencing here, because apparently it's only Navy guys doing this. I think it's but a question if anybody's of sensors. seen yeah, you guys are we're
2: Mexican radars. You don't get to see anything. That's true. <laughs> we don't even
1: see the adversaries who we're supposed to see <laughs> yeah. in an APG-68. The uh, Well, and anybody who's seen the F-22 Raptor demo, which Rain and I watched it at McIntyre when it was doing, yeah. you watch that thing maneuver, and you're like, that's a UFO. That's, humans cannot make a machine that maneuvers like that. So I have faith that they can build whatever yeah. there is out there.
0: This does not make sense. Speaking of McIntyre, I was out there with those guys this past weekend. I heard that you interviewed some of them for the Guns Garen Memorial Foundation. I was out there doing a bunch of stuff with them. We hung out on a drill weekend. We might or might not have had one of our camera guys get in a little bit of trouble um, oh, with no. some of his videoing, but they fixed it. You know, life was good, but <laughs> it spiced it up a little bit on Sunday.
2: Well, I want to hear yeah, about that. Cool. That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, you know how things
0: security like... Forces? Yeah, so someone said "f" in front of mom, but they they might have just gotten one angle they weren't supposed to get. But the jet wasn't running; like life was going to be okay. But we just I slowly watched this thing evolve. So it was like during the launch out there, guys are stepping in the jets, they're getting a bunch of B-roll footage of these guys stepping in the jets, and then you can see the security forces truck roll around. Then the security forces gets out and like talks to them. Then he comes over and talks to me. And it's like, okay, it's gonna be good. And the best part of this too, you guys know Mosey. Mosey is like perma top three out there. So he's sitting at the desk for those listening and just, he's kind of managing. Like if there's something happens at the airfield, he relays it to the guys. If there's maintenance issues, he relays between the jets and maintenance. He's, he's the corner. He's the backbone of this operation, but he became the lightning rod for this whole thing too. So he's had to deal with security forces, review footage and all this stuff. It ended up being like a two hour ordeal. Again, it worked out like common sense prevailed, but, um, it was, it was a little bit painful. And then also reminded me of like just the shenanigans that can happen. And you're just like, man, I told the story. So I was like demo days, right? We would be out there video and taking photographs all the time out at y'all and the maintenance guys would just call it in. Like I would be the approving authority down there at the demo ramp. I'm sitting at my desk and I just, my back's to the window to the flight line. I just see flashing blue lights and like I look back and they have our public affairs guy in handcuffs on the ground. I'm like, Oh man, this is not good. I guess I better go out there. So I go out there and I'm talking to the cops. I'm like, Hey, yeah, he's authorized to do this. Like what's going on? Like, well, sir, no one called in the photo pass and he's out here taking photos. I'm like, we literally do this like four times a week, if not five times a week. Pass was called in. Like, I'm the approving authority. Can we just, like, say, whoops, okay. There was, like, a little miscommunication. We're good to go. Like, no, sir. We got to take him in. So, they like, they like took him into the, you know, the station. Like, it was, again, like, two hours. He's held there. I'm like, here's what's going to happen. Like, I'm going to call the group commander. Group commander's going to call the security, MSG commander, a mission support group commander who owns security forces. And it's just going to, like, it's just going to take up everyone's day. And it's, like, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Can we just move past this? Like, no. So... There's a little bit of that this weekend, but yeah, what can we well, do?
1: I, I think McIntyre's a little on edge. You know, they just got upgraded uh, Sabre radars, you know? So now yeah. they're, like, probably really sketching. Like, oh, man, like, people are trying to pull one over on the old mighty Viper jet. you know? Yeah, there's no <laughs> way. And the yeah. uh it's funny you know i understand that like security forces you don't you don't get to make your you know make like real time decisions like there are rules yeah. and security forces has to stick by them uh this this is not a story bagging on security forces this is a story bagging on the air force just if anybody is uh, unclear yeah but if you start it
2: that way it sounds like we're going to bag on security forces
1: it's like well I'm bagging with, with on all one due respect. Guy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Prepare to be hard. disrespected. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the uh, so uh, Bender and I and maybe Rain, you met him, but uh, Compton was one of our buddies in Japan, and uh, he's driving around Japan uh, on a base, obviously, and uh, the speed limit is forty kilometers an hour. And, uh, so you're just cruising around, which, uh, I'm not, I I don't math well, but I think it's like 30 (laughs) miles an hour maybe. Um, so it's slow and apparently Compton rolls through a stop sign. So he gets, Mm. he gets pulled, yeah, he gets pulled over. Hey, rules are rules. So the security forces gentleman is like, Hey, uh, you rolled through that stop sign. And Compton is like, what stop sign? And he's just like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And so they're like, Hey, I got to give you a ticket. So they write Compton a ticket and Compton is, uh, we'll call him Kurt. Uh, so he's, he's pretty direct. He's, he's not the, uh, you know, the kid gloves guy. And he goes, so what am I supposed to do with this? Like, uh, you know, do I have to pay something? And he's like, oh no, sir. You just, you just have to tell your commander. And he goes, oh, this, so it's not a real ticket. Like he's just, he, (laughs) and when he says real ticket, he means like, I don't have to pay anything like this is just like a point on my on base driving record. So him saying that to the the security forces uh, gentleman, he gets he gets upset because, you know, now you're like disrespecting the ticket. So that goes from that security forces person all the way up to the group level over to the ops group and back down to the squadron. And Compton had to be I think it was service dress and effectively apologize for calling it not a real ticket and yeah. i was they like I, called in that i get it
2: that security forces officer was like in the room right like standing there waiting for yeah. an apology from compton <laughs> like
1: what the? yeah and again like i get it but okay a guy was a jerk you know like just let it go but i i was i was shocked when i heard that as like a a lieutenant and i was like what organization am i in like this is weird like I I don't know. It's a Fortune 100 company. It's not a a military branch, you know?
0: Right. I think, uh, again, I'm very appreciative of what security forces, what they do. Like, it's a a thankless job, but it's very important, and you absolutely need them. But hearing stories like that, and, I mean, it's not just, like, security forces, right? Like, if someone got offended, like, at the finance office, and it's like now it just goes up and over, and you're like, just do your job. I'll do my job and like everyone wins. I'm cynical about that. I feel like Bender might have a story or two um, like that. I don't know. Maybe Bender. I don't, do you have anything like
2: that? No, I'm pretty clean throughout my career. I think generally.
0: I was just saying, I I was like, I remember like.
2: No one has time for that. Bender. so annoying. Yeah.
0: That's what Bender's like to the point and he calls people's BS. That's what I I really appreciate about Bender. I think you did that once or twice at Shaw.
2: Yeah. Some people don't appreciate that, though. I had, we had pretty good competitors, though. I didn't get in a whole lot of trouble as a general rule, but I wasn't also allowed to talk to some people directly as a general rule either, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because, again, you, like, called them on their BS, and that's what I, again, I appreciated. I think it was, like, something at the gate. I remember it was, didn't, like, Shaw, like, went to, like, single gate ops. Like, it just became, like, ridiculous and I think you just spoke You you spoke facts and then facts hurt someone's feelings, but
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They had like, I can't remember what it was exactly, but it was single. Oh yeah. They, they put up like two or three stop signs. You remember that? So you had to stop. Yeah, that's what it was like a, a hundred yards from the gate. And then you stopped 50 yards from the gate and then they stopped to check your ID. And so like uh, the line was like two miles long and they'd wait for the one car to come up. And then on yeah. the other side, they had like Humvees set up with no kicking. They're like, 50 cows and the guy manning it for whatever reason, like on the other side of the gate. So for whatever reason, the threat con had reached some insane level. So it was like the yeah. first guy would go up, he'd get his ID checked, he'd go through, they'd wait for him to like make it past the 50 cows or whatever. Like, okay, he's safe. And then they'd marshal the guy who's waiting at a stop sign 50 yards away up to the gate, wait till he was in place. And then the next guy would come up for it. I mean, it was, it took hours to get through that line. It was ridiculous.
0: That's so. what I remember. Yeah. Cause I remember you yeah, you called it on it and just going back, like I'm not a tactician when it comes to force protection and gates, but I was like, this is the silliest thing in the world. One, we're stateside. So if you need to put barricades up to like impede traffic flow and slow down someone who might run the gate, like the resources exist, but putting a stop sign up, like, I don't know if I'm going to run the gate, I'm not going to, give heedance to your stop sign like a concrete barrier wall like i have to physically go around that was so dumb yeah i forgot about that
2: yeah that was that was. a lot of bad ideas out there just getting processes (laughs) i had we had one guy who he lost his id i I might have already i'm not sure if we're sharing the same stories we shared before but he so he's a captain viper pilot he loses his id he goes to the ID place. He's like, hey, I'd like a, I just need to get a new ID. I lost it. And they're like, well, have you spoken to your first sergeant about it? He's like, I don't have a first sergeant. I'm an office group. We don't have a first sergeant. Like, every group has a first sergeant. He's like, no, I'm pretty sure we don't have one. He's like, you do. Don't come back until you have a, like, a MFR signed by your first sergeant. So he comes back to my office or whatever. He's like, I need some MFR signed that says, like, I feel bad for losing my ID. I promise not to do it again or whatever, signed by my first sergeant. I was like, that is BS. Like, do you outrank a first sergeant? Like, write your own MFR and put your name on it and give it back to him. So he types up the MFR right there, and he's like, I promise not to lose it again, signed myself, like, whatever. He takes it back to the MPF, and, of course, like that just made them so mad. So the the sergeant at the desk site can't compute, so he goes and gets his supervisor, who's a civilian who's been there for 30 years, and the civilian's like, we have processes in place. You will follow our processes. Find your first sergeant. He's, anyway, it just goes on and on. So he like calls me back. He's like, "Hey, they're saying they're not gonna take this." I'm like, "You stand at that desk and you wait until they give you a <laughs> new ID." So he's like, comes back like an hour later. He's all like, "He's pretty excited, but he's like flushed." He's like, "I won. We won." Whatever's like, "Well, what happened?" <laughs> so I guess they like eventually got up to the officer in charge of the M.P.F., which is a first lieutenant straight out of, you know, like O.T.S. or whatever. And she's like, "I don't know what to do." So she signed it for him. And then they gave me the ID, but that civilian was so mad that we had bypassed the process.
1: I I, I don't it. get it. It's like the dog ate my homework kind of thing where it's like, oh, you're in trouble now. And it's like, I lost my ID. I don't know. Like that stuff
2: happens. but yeah, I mean, and then the, that afternoon he goes and flies a, you know, $25 million jet. So the Air Force can trust you to go fly that jet because nobody else can do it except for him. But to get an ID like that is, that is too much risk. We can't accept that.
0: It's like the flight line driver's license program, you know, like I would just get the maintainers to drive me around purely out (laughs) of spite because I'm not going to do that test. I'm like, yeah, taxi a $30 million jet around this airfield all day long. But you tell me I can't figure out how to like give way to an aircraft or stay inside these lines. Like this is dumb. You guys are dumb.
1: Yeah. I had a, I had a really crappy response. Maybe, uh, Maybe I should have said it, but I, I, I don't think I did in, in my uh, memory. I believe I kept it to myself, but I had the same thing. I was like, Hey, why do I need a flight line driver's license? Like I taxi jets around and they're like, well, it's different. And in my mind, I was like, how do you know? <laughs> like, You've never taxied a jet. So how do you know if it's different, you know, driving your car, which again, is not a nice thing to say. I hope I didn't say it, but it's, it's one of those things where you're like, I get it. There are processes, you know, and and you, we have to follow them, but we also have to use common sense and say like, Hey, maybe this doesn't make sense for, for pilots whose job it is yeah. to understand what lines mean, what and what lights on the airfield mean, what, like I get it. But
0: yeah. I don't know. One, yeah. Explain to me what the importance of an ILS critical area is. Yeah. What exactly. that little line means. I man, I don't know what it means, but you know, I know how to utilize yeah. it. Yeah.
1: Its purpose well, is to make uh, me nervous
2: for about thirty seconds. I'm like, is that the yeah. line I'm not supposed to cross? And then I cross
0: it. I need to be. Can I? Can I go past you know, this? You, is this one of those days I can't go past it? What, what's the rules? Yeah.
1: Oh man, speaking of uh, just ridiculous, like buffoonery type things. So they're they're moving um, the markers on the airfield. When I had my last base, when I was at Holloman, and before putting the new hold short and instrument hold short line, they paint over them, and luckily, hmm. the person who's taxiing out there is the wing commander at the time, and so he's taxiing out like do 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 do, just going to the runway, and he just doesn't see. He just sees like, you know, darker black streaks across the taxiway that used to be instrument hold short and hold short line. So he just like, well, I, man, I can't find the hold short line. Like this is crazy. And sure enough, he has a, like a CMAV, like a controlled movement violation uh <laughs> because they've painted over the hold short line and there's no hold short line now. Cause they haven't painted the new hold short. And you're like, this is crazy. Luckily it happened to him. Cause anybody else would have probably just gotten oh. destroyed, but oh, yeah. it was like, you better. Oh, hey, Wing Commander. Yeah, you know stuff happens. You know. So, yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, speaking of MFRs, Bender, you know this. So, Rain, before you swapped us out in Jordan, we had a guy who was at Masawa with us. I won't say his name because he's probably doing really good things in the Air Force now. He's a fast burner, um, but he is. He got there two months before us, so he's leaving two months prior because he was doing like a wing weapons thing on our first deployment. Uh, and really great guy. And so we're in Japan. Obviously, Japan, if, if people, I'm a geography major, so I'm qualified to talk about this. Uh, <laughs> the, so Jordan, to get back to Japan, it makes sense to fly east. But most everyone else who goes to, you know, like the Middle East, Jordan, all those places, uh, comes from the continental United States or possibly Europe. So the standard process of going back home, quote, home, is west. And you must in process through Baltimore because that is where everyone from that side of the world goes back home. So he's like, hey, I understand that there is a process here, but I need to go to Japan. I don't need to go to the United States. And they're like, I'm sorry, sir. Like, you need an MFR stating that you can deviate your travel. So same thing. He, like, writes this whole MFR, and he's like, hey, I'm trying to go to Japan. I can take, like, he, I mean, because he's full up. He's like, this specific flight to take me to this specific country back. And they get the MFR, and they're like, no, sorry, we can't accept that. So he literally, because he's, he's better than me, he literally takes the rotator through Baltimore and then has to travel from Baltimore now west again across the United States, across the Pacific, back to Japan, uh, because the process and you're like, holy moly, this is crazy.
0: Oh my gosh. That inflicts so much pain. Yeah. If hey. For no real reason. Yeah. That's, I mean, again, these are like just like all the shenanigans, like there's a million of them. And you listen to like other people, like in the army and Navy, like everyone has these stories. You're just like, if we could sprinkle common sense, the problem is you get to size of an organization that the bureaucracy is so big. And it, I don't know if it's C, is it CYA? Is that what's happening? Like no one is willing to like delegate the responsibility down to the lowest level. Cause they're worried about their careers. Like, what is it? That's what I want to know. I don't lose sleep over this, but I'm curious right now. <laughs> See, I feel like, I feel like it's a, it's just control.
1: So perfect example. Uh, I think it was general goldfiend. Maybe it was the, the CSAF before him, but it was like, Hey, get rid of, Non important processes, you know, like let's get rid of the extra stuff, like let's stop doing these things. And somewhere between him and me as an end user, the processes yeah. were still in place. And I think there's just somewhere in between people like, no, I need this, like I need this information, I need these things to happen. And they just don't let go. Like even though their boss's boss's boss is saying it, you as an end user, you know, you can't be like, hey, sorry, sir, but General Goldfein told me, you know. So I don't know. Yeah. What do you think, Bender?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's CYA for sure. So we had when I was in Afghanistan, we had, uh, um, so we were obviously vipers. So we would carry some air-to-air missiles and some SDB or whatever other types of bombs. Um, and then the Raptors were somewhere in where did they, where the the deed? I don't even know where, but not the deed, I guess. Yeah, they were somewhere over there. Um but somewhere in uh the planning process it was like hey raptors haven't dropped any bombs recently like we want to justify you know why they're deployed and all that stuff so they were like vipers you're gonna fight dca in afghanistan which there's not a great air threat you know out there in afghanistan <laughs> but load up for dca because we're gonna have the raptors fly in country to drop some sdb or whatever we're like wait what we're like no, no, yeah you guys uh you know we have there's, Potential threat coming from Tajikistan or whatever. I kid you not. Uh, <laughs> so that could happen because the Raptors are coming. So like, load up. You'll be an air-to-air loadout or whatever, and you'll be fine. DCA, so like, Oh, fine. Like, what are the spins? And like, well, we don't have spins for you. Uh, just fly it. And like, well, like, what's the th- like? What are we doing? And if something does happen, like, what's our authority to like, you know, stop it or engage or whatever? Like, well standby while we'll it gets you that so like the night of our first dca bulls or whatever there's still no like spins or a thorn they're just like just use the spins we use wherever in another place and we're like what is going on they're like don't worry about that here the one rule we do have for you comes from the i can't remember if it. i think it was the the wing commander's like the one thing that the one rule we've put in place is that you won't do yo-yo ops or whatever so i'm like you can. It just was so frustrating. Like they couldn't no like command decision was made at all. Like nobody would take on the authority of like developing spins or defining what the threat was or anything like that. The only decision any commander between my squadron and the CFAC or whatever was no yo yo ops. So a flight leads decision. Like like that's like the one decision I am supposed to be able to make. They're like, yeah, we don't we don't trust ourselves to make any decision except for your, you know, personal decision, whatever. And that I mean that's and not yeah, it's across the Air Force like that. Like, the only the only guidance we ever get is, like, guidance that at our level, like, you know, we can make, you know, this is the same thing, like, losing your ID. Like, they'll make those decisions for us, you know, but they don't trust us to make that decision. But all the huge, super important decisions, like, they're not willing to make that, like, or clarify that. No way. It's right. too dangerous. Yeah.
0: Yeah, let me take this this off your shoulders and I'll handle this problem that, uh, should be done between a, a Lieutenant and a major. Yeah. Well, Hey, shift gears here a little bit. Um, how much money would it take for you to sell your soul and train with a near peer threat and teach them Western tactics? I won't name any countries, <laughs> yeah. but I, I, there's a little, there's a news article out there. Apparently some of, uh, you know, our friends are, Working with a near-peer threat, or what we would deem as a near-peer threat teaching tactics.
1: I would never. Me neither. But it's, (laughs) for the record, (laughs) I've never thought about
2: it. We were talking about that in the bar last night, actually. We're like, there is a number, right? And everybody's like, oh yeah, Yeah. I have a number. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's like $270,000. That seems a little low to guess. That's not my
2: number, yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I was like, oh man. I have a listening. Oh, yeah, really? I was like, there's an article out there that the British, there's 30 British pilots approximately that have are working with the Chinese, teaching them tactics and things like that. So, yeah, I think we would all agree for those listening that's I I would say considered selling your soul to sell your bros out. But yeah, sorry Vader, what were you saying? Well,
1: yeah, I would I would say there's going to be fallout. I mean, like legitimate yeah. fallout from your ho- like home country. So the reality is like you have to be independently wealthy. You know what I mean? It'd have to be Yeah. I mean sub three hundred K a year, like that's a lot of money. That's a ton of money. But you may not be able Never to go, go back home. home. You know what I mean? So it's like totally not worth it. That's crazy. Yeah. That's and, not even like, Snowden it's,
2: money, you know? You gotta at least yeah. make <laughs> exactly. Snowden money. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah.
0: you're not uh you're not going back to the squadron barbecue reunion after after that one, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. No, so, not at all. Yeah, I mean again, 300,000 is not a small. Yeah, I guess lump of change, but if you're never going to be able to go home or yeah, you're going to you're going to live on an island by yourself for quite a long time. It's kind of right. crazy, but that's I mean that stuff happens all the time. Yeah. I I am assuming this
1: is a this is a broad assumption. Uh, I'm assuming they're like the dirtbag dudes, you know, the dudes in the squadron that the bros don't like anyway. And then they're like, fine, I don't care. I'm going to go
0: teach China then.
3: Uh, Yeah, I can think of a couple
2: people that might (laughs) do something like that. Yeah, go do
0: that for sure. I wonder, uh, well, one, because, I mean, maybe those dudes got burned by their military or, yeah, just burned by their government, et cetera. So, yeah, they might not care at all. Uh, The other piece, I'll say maybe I'll give like a benefit of doubt. Like, So it's run through a shell company in South Africa, like depending on how they interface, like it could potentially be like, if I don't know, are they flying in South Africa or flying, you know, in the Middle East, there are a lot of expats that go to South Africa or go to Dubai, etc. So maybe they've been giving up this information, like thinking they're training, you know, the South Africans, I don't know. But at some point, like you got to be smart enough to at least realize that uh, maybe this is nefarious. Yeah, the
1: uh, one other thing that I saw recently somebody sent me uh, the YouTube video of the Chinese uh ACM, the air combat maneuvering, air Con- yeah, ACM. Yeah. The uh but they use English. So they like do oh. ACM in English and they're like using all the same terminology that you would hear in like a US engagement and you're like, "Hmm, that's pretty interesting."
0: Well, <laughs> uh, I mean, you saw they, they bought a bunch, the Chinese bought a bunch of land. Was it next to, what's the base up in North, North Dakota? Mine They bought like 150 acres. And I mean, I remember they would go up and down the Eastern seaboard. I mean, they do it everywhere. I mean, yeah, everyone does it, right? They're out there observing tactics and how things are done. I think the latest thing, it was a like Grand Forks North Dakota, I'm but someone's going to like lose their mind over that, but <laughs> uh, a Chinese company ended up buying you know, 100 plus acres right next to an Air Force base which we operate a lot of drones out of, and so I mean, it's, everything flows back to the party and the government, so that'll undoubtedly be utilized as a resource to gather information, etc. So, I think a lot of people realize that especially in the last like two years, they see what our dependency was or what our dependency is on other nations. And then also see maybe some of the reality of how certain nations act and behave not only towards their people or towards everyone else. Yeah. Again, I just, well, I have to keep, I have to go there. So I have to be careful.
1: Yeah. Legitimately. That's true. Yeah. The, uh, you know, well, I know one thing, that now that i'm getting uh through the F15C TX uh, i think china is shaking in their boots because i'm yeah. getting pretty lethal in this airplane so uh, just hammered away oh yeah so all of the so so far all my experience is in the simulator so big big caveat there first uh first flight is coming up in a couple of weeks um it is wildly different i mean aggressively different than the F16 Uh, So for everybody out there who doesn't know, so the F-16 is what's called AOA limited. So angle of attack limited uh, to the point where you can pull back on the flight controls and the jet will limit the output to stop you from putting yourself out of control or overshooting the available uh, angle of attack or AOA. The F-15C does not do that. It has um, like hydraulics. Um, I should probably know this, but uh, it's like cables and hydraulics. I think. And uh, <laughs> but either way, it has like a a, a a small flight control computer doing like very minimal uh, inputs. So you kind of have like, uh, hey, your rudders will d- rudders will d- deflect 15 degrees without the flight control computer, and they'll deflect 30 degrees with it. So if your flight control computer kicks offline you don't have as much maneuverability. So you want the flight control computer, especially if you're going to go like really fast because pilot-induced oscillations can get bad. So that it helps with stuff like that. Uh, so Rain will ask you, because Bender, he's a 35 guy now, so he's all about AOA and rudders and everything. So as an F-16, dude, yeah. when you think about flying, like an AOA, like, oh, I can do AOA excursions and I can bleed energy, How? what do you expect when you're, when they say like, hey, yeah, step on the rudders and, and you know you'll do the thing. What do you when you're in the jet or you imagine being a dogfight and you see an adversary like fly across your left side at like two thousand feet? What do you what are you going to do with those flight controls or what what are you
0: attempting? Well, I'm going to try to get behind them and shoot them and kill them. Get them in a Wes, right? Yeah. But not having or being AOA limited, like I never thought about it in the Viper. I'm just like I'm going to do this. Like you just pull as hard as you can to try and get there. And you don't have to think about it. I would imagine now you're thinking a lot. You have to be, I don't know, I'm not a very good pilot, but, like, you got to be a champion not to, like, over-G or not to part, like, you know, put the jet out of control. Because, like, fangs are through the floor as you hit the merge there and you just want to kill that person. I don't yeah. know, that'd be really challenging, I think. Well, I don't want really give Eagle guys too much credit, but.
1: They, uh, they tell me to my face, and it doesn't even hurt my feelings. They're like, you actually have to, like, be a pilot and fly this plane, and I'm like, yeah. ugh, that's <laughs> the worst. So, uh, yeah. so Weird. I'm, yeah. So I'm like fighting in the sim. I'm uh, I'm merging with an adversary, and we're slower speeds now. So it's like the second merge. So for anybody who doesn't know, a merge could be 180 degrees, kind of passing north south on a highway. You could kind of be 90 degrees out. Merges are, you know, they can be varied. But either way, I'm I'm slow. So I'm like, oh, I'm slow. I can't over-G. So less than, like, call it 350-ish, a little higher than that. You can just, like, pull the control straight to the seat pan, and you won't over-G. And so I was like, this is sick. I'm just going to, like, stop the jet. And so seat pan, and I just, like, and when I say stomp, I mean stomp on the left rudder pedal because this jet is just going to, like, whip around, and I'm going to be pointing at him, and I'm just going to be ready to kill (laughs) so i like, like a raptor that's right and i go seat pan that's what we call it we guys and uh seat pan <laughs> and then i stomp on the left rudder pedal and the jet rips off to the right i mean like total departure and i'm like oh my gosh this is insane so uh so the, apparently in the c model there's two things there's out of control and a full departure Out of control just means the jet's not doing what you want. So if I pull back and move, like put the left rudder and the nose doesn't go anywhere, I am just out of control. Just ease off the back stick and the jet will probably get back in control and fly. A departure is the jet starts doing stuff that you don't want it to do. So like right there, left rudder, I'm trying to go left and the nose just like rips off to the right and I get into this like excessive roll and I was like, I this is going to be a challenge. Like this is, this is not like a one day I'll figure this out. Um, so definitely negative transfer.
2: So then did he roll in behind you and I can, kill you? I can please see that.
1: Well, Since luckily you, it was like a, a simulator. Yeah. Uh, luckily it was like a simulator generated thing, so he's just like cruising along. <laughs> so I, I'm able to turn back around and, and go kill him. But yeah,
2: there's, there's a lot. I heard a, one of my, our vice wing commander, he's a... And reservists, when you get up to, I hope, hopefully, he doesn't listen to this, but you you get pretty old in the reserves when you start to get to that level. So he's been around a while. Real young looking guy. He looks great. Uh, He's pretty (laughs) old. Anyway, so he's been flying Vipers since they were, you know, the A model probably. But he was talking about, they brought, he was a homestead reservist. So they, they were there when the F 22 is getting its final, like, um, what do you call it? When they, Oh, I, whatever. It's final, IOC. like, what is it? IOC? Yeah, IOC. So the final, like, combat checkouts for the F-22, I guess. They brought some into, it was at Nellis, and they had, like, Chief of Staff the Air Force. I think it was Jumper at that time, like, the Secretary of Defense. They were all there for this, like, last bull of the F-22's, like, final combat checkout or whatever. So they had eight aggressors and eight of these homestead jets, and he's one of the homestead guys, and he, he said he was just like, it was like a 2 weeks straight of just, like, driving and dying and never seeing anybody. Um, but on the last day, he was, like, up at 37,000 feet, just, like, cruising. And he sees above him the, this raptor go, you know, like, point straight at I him and goes through the cons. So he, he sees the flash, and then he sees the cons. And so he's like, oh, yeah, I finally see one. Uh, and so he's, like, 1.3 or something. So he's like, I got the energy for this. So he just, like, pulls straight up at the raptor. Uh, like to get his nose on him or whatever. And then of course, like over commands this two bag Viper uh, up at 40 something thousand feet. And so right as they merge, he goes out of control and the jet starts <laughs> like falling out of the sky, <laughs> but it starts falling out of the sky. Uh, I want to use my hands, but since we're on a podcast again, but basically his nose starts to, he just starts to spin or whatever. And his nose just tracks this Raptor <laughs> as it's, trying to merge with them so it looks like he's just like i'm in a gunway pretty much like right now as he's like just falling out of the sky not able to do anything and eventually another raptor kills him or whatever and then he recovers like at 20 something thousand feet and uh and so he like lands and he's like gosh i hope you know standard he's like i hope nobody noticed that that happened and i'm not gonna say <laughs> anything obviously uh, but when they go to the debrief uh everybody walks in and then they they're like lead test guy is like you follow me and he's like, Oh gosh, here we go. So he goes into this back room and it's a it's like a teleconference and General Jumper is there and the lead F twenty two like engineers, all those guys are there. And they're like, What happened? And he's like, What do you mean? We just merged up at whatever, forty thousand feet. He's like, How did you gun a raptor at forty thousand feet? Like, what were you doing? He was like, you know, I was just like, we just merged, and I just turned across his tail or whatever. Just Know whatever, just doing my pilot stuff, and they're like, Stop it! Like, tell us what happened. He's like, Fine, I went out of control, and they're like, Ah, <laughs> they're to like understand. They were just like sense. terrified. All of a sudden, this Viper just creamed, you know, this F 22 up at that altitude. So they're like, Oh, no big deal. So Jumper like turns the VTC off, he's like, Let's go. And they all just like, Just leave him sitting there. He's like, Okay, cool. <laughs> I guess I'm off cool. the hook. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah just delay your caps the critical action procedures for the recovery there get yeah. your gun shot yeah. and then you i mean you got plenty of altitude to recover that's yeah. awesome
2: yeah it's pretty funny oh, that's great
1: i like how they didn't care at all that he was out of control and there was no knock it off or anything it was like oh so you didn't accidentally kill a raptor cool you're good yeah you know, good to go nobody cares anymore
0: oh man we did a uh combat hammer this is like 2015 no, no, no i'm sorry uh checkered flag where you go to, you go shoot missiles. And then in the afternoon, do that. Um, yeah, hammer was out at Hill, but I was thinking, so we did, you know, like a week, it was awesome. Shoot missiles like in the morning and the afternoon depended, but you do a huge large force exercise, the Raptors, 35 Eagles from uh, Eglin. And we were over at Tyndall doing this at the time. But I remember we were just red air, like multiple days in a row. And then finally it's like, Hey, we need like a blue air look. And so naturally, the Raptors were red air and you're like, well, this is pointless. I think I, I went out with gigawatts as a mission check for me. And you're just like, I don't know. I'll get a valid shot when I do my fence in check or something <laughs> like this is like, there's no, this is like completely pointless. So you can like run the timeline in your head. You're like, oh, I'm probably getting shot in the face right now. Yep. I'm getting shot in the face. Cool. You know? Hey, thanks. It's just crazy.
1: But Bender, you guys, I mean, again, a, a fourth gen fighter, I mean, even fourth gen with with like an electronically scanned array radar is going to be a little bit better, but I mean it's it's not it's not going to hang, you know. That's not that's not our standard threat, uh, yeah,
2: Bender. I, mean, I assume they talk about the I believe it. button in the F thirty five. Like during the TX, you know, they're like, obviously we complain all the time about the F thirty five. It's just our, you know, it's the right of the TX into the Fat Amy, but they're like, one day you're going to be out there. And, you know, you're going to be making fun of whatever. And then all of a sudden you're going to see it and be like, I believe like, this is awesome. And so that happened in my first red flag and it was Raptor flying red air. And like, we pick them up pretty far. We like shoot them. And I'm like, oh gosh, here we go. As I trespass all my numbers, you know, standard red flag, like they're going to shoot me. I'm going to die (laughs) in this debrief. But in the debrief, they never, it was awesome. We killed them and they never even had a clue we were there. I'm like, okay if we go to war, like this is the machine I probably want to be in this money.
0: Yeah. That's cool.
1: When I think if you do your job, right, you know, like in fifth gen, if you, you do the things and you, you put your jet where you want it to be, like, it seems impressive, you know, outside looking in it's, you know, you don't, uh, we were talking to blitz airs and we were talking about like managing risk and things. And he's like, yeah, when you're, when you're young, when you're a Lieutenant, the young captain, you know, it's like, Hey, can you want to take some risk? And it's like, cool. How much you got, you know, you're just like, you're, you're happy to kind of onboard risk. And then you go to red flags and then you see just how many airplanes are flying around and how close everyone is. And you're like, this is mildly harrowing. Like this is wild, especially in like a fourth gen fighter or now where link 16 is not on a lot of platforms. So now you're just like, you don't have any sort of link 16 information of who's around you. And you're just like, think small for 90 minutes. Woof.
0: Yeah. Especially if you do one of those red flags, it's like a coalition one and you have all these different nations playing around. You're like, you get these small altitude blocks, say small, you're like 2000 feet. And you're used to having like 10,000 feet for your formation. You go out there nighttime and they're not used to do a whole lot of night or even you like, It's not a, like, think skinny. I'm just hoping someone's not screaming through my altitude block at 450 knots. And I do remember, like, one of ours, we had, um, he was the chief of OGV prior to Bender. Very experienced dude. Great dude. And he came back. He went, he got spatial deed in one of the voles. He was, like, 12,000 feet out of his, his altitude block. He hit the PARS button, so the jet automatically recovered which thank God that existed. But, you know, in the debrief, they're like, hey, you're out of your altitude block. What are you doing? And he's like, I was spatial deed. And everyone's like, oh, like, you know, if it can happen to him, it can happen to anyone. But again, think skinny because someone can go blitzing through your altitude block. A lot of, yeah, it's amazing. More crap doesn't happen.
2: Yeah, and even, yeah. well, as block 50 guys, I mean, you, we have these seed caps that are, I mean, it's crazy. In F-35, we don't we just don't fly that close together. Uh, Which is kind of nice, but in the block fifty, I mean, you'd have that mini block, two thousand feet for four of you, and you would have, you know, two elements on the opposite sides of these seed caps in the middle of the night. So the closest calls I ever had were, you know, like crossing paths with wingmen in the in your seed caps. You know, because we'd have like a five hundred foot mini altitude, like block between the two elements or whatever. You're just like passing five hundred feet away from another like five
0: hundred feet. Yeah, doing 400 knots, like that's not a lot of altitude. And then you're like NVGs with no depth perception, all the different stars, cultural lighting, et cetera, like trying to figure out like, mm, is that another plane or is that a star or, you know, a tower or what is that down there? Not a good spot.
1: Yeah, I'd say uh, one, of, one of my least favorite red flag uh, sorties. Because Bender and I, I mean, we went to a few red flags when we were in Alaska, and they were awesome. I mean, just a rage fest. I think there's, a, there's slightly less aircraft than, like, a Nellis uh, flag. But it's just, it just seems like there's a lot more space. You can move around a little bit more. And then I went to, like, a Nellis red flag. And I was like, this is intense. And uh, so it's an IMC vol, so instrument, instrument meteorological oh. conditions. Uh, so we take off, four of us take off. Um, and about the time we hit the holds, we go into the weather and the assumption is like, we're going to be in the weather all day. So we split up. So there's, yeah, there's two of us. Uh, it's, I'm number three. My number four is my DO at the time when I was at McIntyre and, uh, we're in the weather just fighting and I'm like trying to do the job. There's surface threats that are radiating and shooting at you. So you're trying to defend, but stay relatively level. Uh, and then there's an aggressor that I see that I'm, that I'm trying to figure out if he's alive, if he is a bad guy, if he is a good guy. And then I realize I'm like, he is below halfway down the scope on a 20 scope. And I was like, Oh, we're like merging. Like he's less than 10 miles away from me. So this is happening. And if for an F 16, they have two radios. So not a ton of radios when there's like five different frequencies you could be on. Uh, So most of the time, block 50 F-16s are over probably the escort freak or the strike freak. Uh, And then their secondary radio is not to like talk to your flight. It's to talk to the seed roulette people because you kill the radio radio. Uh, at red flag so you have to tell the the seed rtos or range training officers what you're shooting at so they know uh what sam's to kill or not kill so you can't really talk just to your flight so while we're doing this uh my do has a complete uh mmc failure which is your mission computer so effectively it's like he has an operating motor flight controls and engine uh, he has no navigation. He has no screens. And so he's, so this happens. So literally I'm pointing towards the threats uh, and he is pointing back the, so in trail of me and he just goes on the RTO frequency. So the range training officer frequency and he goes, I lost everything. I've got nothing. Uh, he's like, I'm going to say it. And he's a, he's a prior Navy dude, tons of experience. I mean, he flew, The F-14, F-18, then the F-16. You know, all of us are IPs. uh, And he goes, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. And he goes on. This is all in the Ox Freak, the secondary freak. And he goes on the uh, radio, which everyone is fighting on. We're on the Escort Freak this time. And so the words knock it off are like, should be sacred. And you say knock it off and the fight's over. Uh, And so he goes, knock it off, knock it off. Iron 4-4 is knocking it off. And that's, like, a direct quote. And, like, if it's, if you could be unsure, you know, if you hear, like, knock it off. You know, you're like, did somebody say something? I didn't hear. You know, but it is, like, very clear. Like, Iron 44 is knocking this fight off. And there's, like, this pregnant pause. And an RTO on the air-to-air side yells negative. And then everybody starts calling their missile shots, and the fight just picks back up. So... Now IMC rules you're supposed to do like hey so many degrees of bank so many de- degrees of pitch, but he is now he has no IMC he has nothing so I go max AB and I just like like limiter pull around the corner to put him within my radar field of view before he falls off the link so I lock him up and uh, tell me if I've already told this story here but uh, but so I lock him up and uh and right as his like uh his link sixteen PPLI disappears and so I'm like all right. Four unlocked to you, and he's worried about going. So we're kind of we're just south of the Revelies. So if you go farther south, obviously that's not great. So he keeps like right. listing. Um, what is that? Is that? That's north. So he keeps listening, like, towards the revelies And I'm like, you're going to punch out of the airspace. Like, you're, you're you're going to fly out of the airspace. Stop going left. And he's like, no, I don't want to go right. Like, I don't want to run into the other thing. So, uh, so I'm, like, max AB just chasing him down through the airspace in the weather. Uh, and then I get to, like, a mile and trail. And it's, there's just a sucker hole in the clouds. And I'm, like, visual. And I, like, rejoin on him, like, fly in there to like to close formation. And I'm like, all right, I'm on your right wing, like call visual. I'm like, all right, you know, route. And as we start a right hand turn where that little triangle cutout is for the tanker track, you know, in that kind of Northeast side of the airspace. So we're like edging, like, I don't want to fly into the tanker track and I roll out pointing roughly South and I realize we are on the Marshall limit line four vol three and i look at the clock and we are on push time like i literally watch the clock like roll to zeros for the new push time and i just see this like sea of like uh, link 16 tracks start pushing across like towards us and luckily uh you guys know him flash mcveigh uh is in one of the other f-16s i think he was nitro flight and in the weather he's just like in place 90 right like he just like, nope, we're not pushing. We're done. So we're co-altitude because we're supposed to leave as he shows up. So we're all sh- staring the sh- uh, same piece of sky and we fly perpendicular to the push at nitro's altitude. And I literally see like sharks in the ocean, just strike eagles flying under us, just like little oh blips gosh. of them through the clouds. And uh, and we obviously make it back home. But I was furious like i could not be more mad at whoever it was that called that and uh the debrief was pretty long that night not surprisingly but yeah. we, we made it back
3: yeah
0: what did they say about yeah, the other knock it yeah. off n- negative like so, you can't override that's it. again saying f in front of mom you can't yeah, take it back you can't triple stamp
1: a double stamp yeah
0: so the uh yeah.
1: so this was the thing that really pissed people off so we get back in And like the standard thing is like you show up and you, first thing you do is talk about the admin, you know, like, Hey, any questions from the brief, you know, like, Hey, let's talk about getting there or coming back. And then they're like, obviously we're going to talk about the thing and they're like, yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. You know, obviously that's a big deal. So we don't want to like, um, like not spend time on it. And then we get to the shop valve and it's like, Weird. So the shop validation is where you like everybody sits down and pairs all the missiles they took, and uh, sees what the truth that is. And then the shop validation's over, and then they go, "All right, Red Air, you're cleared off." And uh, this one of the patches in the room, I don't know him really well. He's an awesome dude, but I, I won't use his name here. He stands up and he like points to literally every part of the like Red Air, and he goes, "Sit down. We're not done." And I was like, sick. And, uh, and that's when we get into it, but they were literally going to let like all of red air and like half of the fight leave before talking about this, uh, negative. And then we get a little obfuscation and we get a little like, well, you know, you know, people were unsure, blah, blah, blah. So we never actually find out who said it. Um, but either way it was, uh, it was suboptimal and we, we get to the bottom of it, how you can't, you can't turn off and knock it off uh and the worst part was it was because the third push was going to lose out on training if we knocked off the fight and i was like i i'm so furious cuz you know if we run jets together yeah. if a guy crashes like oh yeah that that's going to hold up you know like people are going to be like oh you're right i can't imagine why you would lose the third push's training so
0: just ridiculous
2: yeah, that story spread pretty quickly. I think like that same night we were getting texts about it and stuff. And I think the tigers were like, "We're never going back to Red Flag until the, the because the commander of Red Flag, I think, acted unprofessionally, is my understanding. Or I guess I'll tell a story from what yeah. I heard from. But I guess he would give out green chips for superior performer and red chips for the kind of the lymphacts of the bull. Uh, and so my understanding is that he gave a green chip, I don't even know who he gave it to, probably C2 or somebody who was useless, but he wanted to make feel better about their lives, and then throws the red chip at, wasn't it your fighting or something? Or maybe it was at yeah, the Tigers which... or somebody, and it like, like, no. and you guys need to do better about like, like understanding when you should call knock it off or whatever, and the story is that he like throws the red chip at the guy, and the guy just stares at him and let it like, just hits him in the chest and just lets it fall to the floor, it's just like, F you like, we're not coming back to red flag again until he's gone.
1: Yeah. So it was, it was almost exactly that. Yeah. So the, the number one, the flight lead was the squadron commander. So number one was the squadron commander. Number four was the DO who had happened to. And uh yeah, he's like, Hey, number one, he throws him like the, the bad chip, like you screwed up chip. And uh, he's like, you got to control your flight. You know, like that's on you. If someone knocks off your wow. knock it off, you got to knock it back off again. And uh, yeah, he throws a chip and he like holds up a binder. Cause one, it, I was flabbergasted that he just overhand throws chips to the like last row. It's like a 40 yard throw to the back of the room. Yeah. And anybody who's held poker chips, you're like, that's dangerous. So he literally holds up like his like Bob binder, you know, he holds it up and it hits the binder and falls to the floor. And like somebody in the row in front of him, like picks it up. He's like, here you go, sir. And he's like don't give me that like drop it on the ground. And uh, yeah, McIntyre left. They were like, we're done here. And they just went home. They didn't, it was like a Wednesday or something. And they were like, Thursday we're getting ready to go home and we're just leaving like they're not. So yeah, they were rightfully so furious.
0: Wow. Was that, I'm trying to think I did one. Did we do a red flag together when you're at McIntyre or I might've been, it might've been, I only I did one with McIntyre. Yeah, I been like 2015 or 16.
1: Okay, yeah, I didn't get there yet. I wasn't I wasn't out there until late 16. Um, but yeah, that would have that would have been before. But.
0: Man, that's I was gonna tell my story, red flag, my worst sortie, but it doesn't even compare. It's when I lost my lip light. And then we were <laughs> run, like, uh, switched to runway three operations.
1: Oh, man. Hey, Which re- was a
0: significant emotional event. I'm like, my lip light died on departure. I'm like, I might abort this sortie <laughs> and head back. And then, it, then it switched to runway three recovery when it wasn't supposed to. Oh, like, you know, this is, this is terrible. Runway
1: three. I was like, please. No, I just, if it's runway three, just uh, let me land opposite direction. I'll ex- I personally accept a 20 knot tailwind for a yeah. runway two, one. Uh, oh man. Red well, flag is
2: a, it's a great, just so much crap happens here. It's like, it's awesome. Good stories. Yeah. We had, we had one guy who took off and didn't lift. Like he didn't, he was, was like his first red flag. So we just got FMQT and we we're like the first jets on this giant departure. And he forgets to like raise his gear. So, and then he overspeeds the crap out of it. Anyway, so we like, <laughs> he's like, I can't catch up in the rejoin. And they're like, your gear's down. So that's your problem. Uh, so that happens like, again, the first jet of the entire go. So he slows down to like 200 knots. So this entire train that starts towards the airspace is like led out by this guy who's now like creeping back at 200 knots. And all the other formations of fighters are just, like, getting, like, just crushed up against it. So they're, like, starting to vector people off the departure to try to get them around uh, the – I won't say his name either. for But um, – actually, I probably will. But we ended Excuse up naming him, obviously, at that red flag. Uh, and so the
3: – Scucci jacket.
2: Sorry, I'm in a softball turn. Here you go. Say hey, hi. You're on a podcast.
3: Hey. <laughs> what? Uh, hold on. I'll be right there.
2: Uh, anyway, so the, his name was pretty funny cause they, it was, they ended up naming him Limbo for like, how low can the bar go? You know, like <laughs> just always trying to go as low as you can go. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that is a good name. I love it.
0: Oh, that's great. Oh, well, that's brutal. He's a
2: great dude.
1: Though.
0: We had one of those. We had, uh, yeah, yeah it's, they always are. They still are. Yeah, <laughs> We had one, we had a departure and this was it actually it, I would say, This red flag, we came back from our deployment, and this new commander, you probably can accredit him with, I don't know, maybe at least 20 people getting out of the Air Force, but this was was it. This is where it kicked off. We had a young wingman who did the same thing, first go, his first red flag. uh, He left the gear down on departure, and it happens, right? And then he ended up getting dinged. Uh, rightfully or wrongfully, but it was it was something like it kind of changed the course of the squadron. I feel like in most fighter squadrons, like you're going to mess something up at some point, like metal's going to get bent, but like so long as like no one dies and it's not malicious, it's usually like, hey, you're going to wear, you're you might be grounded for a week and you're doing like ground duty. You might, you're going to stand in front of the squadron on Friday and tell everyone what you did so people can learn from it. But like, there's nothing permanent on your record like, busting him on a check ride and he got busted and that was kind of like the turning point We're like, oh i guess we see how it's going to be because the heavy community like they're pretty q2 and q3 happy i mentioned on other podcasts but like if you like a q1 for is a pe- check ride pass q2 you might have to clean up some items it's still like not great and a q3 means you fail you're not qualified and commanders can hand those out at any point if they deem necessary, and that's what happened in the scenario. And for us, like it was like, ooh, that's something new in the fighter world. You're like, so it, it only got worse
2: from there. That's when I it's, showed up at the squadron a, when it had it had reached the yeah worse <laughs> from there yeah like this is gonna be awesome yeah. I'm gonna go be in rain squadron like it's totally awesome the gamblers are great I get in and it's like what is wrong with this thing? Oh, <laughs> And like people yeah. would like get done fun, they come out of debrief and they would just like freaking leave the building like, no talking, no fun. I'm like, what is? It's hard to like wreck a fighter squadron's morale, but that squadron had zero yeah. of it when I yeah he
0: that. he he wrecked it really quick because Vader I mentioned he Blitz is going to be on the Kodiak Shack. I've had Blitz. Blitz was my boss when we were, when we were downrange and ripped you guys out. Blitz was awesome, and you know we're downrange like oh this guy's gonna be great you know, because we we're leading up to his change of command and then talking to some of the other guys and, like, the Tigers or the shooters had flown with him when he was not a commander. Like, oh, yeah, he's great. You guys, he's he's awesome. And he was anything but awesome. Which, you're not always going to have, like, good bosses, you know, and you have to figure out what they need. But it goes back to, like, in my opinion, he was purely CYA. He viewed being a squadron commander as only a hurdle to his upward mobility, because if anything bad happens in your squadron as the squadron commander, whether it's your fault or not, like you get blamed or it's going to impact your next assignment, your, your stratification. If you're going to go to school, yada, yada, yada. He knew that. And everything he did was based upon that. In my opinion,
1: it's, it's unfortunate. It almost, it's almost like some sick joke, that it's like you almost never find two squadron commanders that are good in a row. It's normally like yeah. a touchdown of a squadron commander. And then it's like, it's almost like they know, hey, we got to put this guy somewhere, at least put him in a squadron that just had a good commander. And then, you know, hopefully after that, you get a good commander again, which it sounds like that did happen for the 77th after him, that it kind of rebounded yeah. with the next commander. But yeah, it's it's disheartening to see just how bad a bad commander can,
0: can be for a squadron. Yeah. Just one guy I saw. Uh, so at that time, hyper Anderley was the tiger commander, which was kind of entertaining, but now I see, yeah, he's like the wing commander out there. I saw him in the news Bender.
3: Oh yeah.
2: He's awesome. Yeah. I, I guess, think we love, well, I love hyper. I'm pretty sure all the bros do up the hill. Yeah. He's a good dude. He, we just had uh a jet crash a couple of days ago, uh, which is a, obviously that's a huge deal. I think it's the first Air Force F-35 crash. I think I could be wrong, but anyway, it's a big deal. So we had, we had a pilot yeah. meeting yesterday kind of about it with him talking. Anyway, he's just a, there's just something, you know, he's not, he's not like a weapons school grad or like a lineage, you know, like in the Air Force, there's a pretty standard way of becoming a squadron commander. You know, you guys are familiar with your, like quick to IP, quick to weapon school. You go back and teach a weapon school as fast as possible. And those are the guys that usually end up being squadron commanders. And a lot of them are great. Um, but that that doesn't, those aren't necessarily, they don't always make the best commanders. Ever. Anyways, Hyper is not one of those, right? He's he a fake. Uh, and then just a really good dude. But that's, I mean, he's just a great leader. And some of my favorite squadron commanders are, sorry, somebody got a hit. And this is through a softball. So <laughs> they're going to scream for a while. <laughs> Uh, anyway so I mean it's
0: like my son's baseball game <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah but like Fokker Busey I know we don't generally throw names out there but Fokker Busey's awesome commander doesn't have that, that kind of lineage but it's just about like understanding I think the best commanders they get you know they understand the purpose of the squadron and then they're they're just willing to take the risk to make sure that the mission happens and that the dudes are taken care of you know, and you can, always, you can always sniff out the ones who are dedicated to that and then the ones who are a lot more gun shy about
0: that. Yeah. A hundred percent.
1: Well, guys, I, uh, I hate to kill a party, but I got to get going. I got a simulator in a bit. So, uh, kind of got to get to work, but, uh, but Hey, thanks for, thanks for uh, spending the time guys. We, we appreciate, uh, I, you know, I always appreciate you guys hanging out and chatting. We're going to have to do this again. Cause once I hit the flight line, there's going to be more buffoonery. So,
0: yeah yeah it's gonna be dedicated dedicated uh podcast to listen what happened to vader (laughs) that week yeah
1: (laughs) all right well uh you guys have a good one have a good weekend and uh and i'll talk to you guys later all
3: right See see you guys